You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for nearly the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, you better hope I don't catch you out at Poppy Steak, my guy. Because you'll be running out the back calling the cops like Colby Covington. You know, I just find it interesting, Chad, that you go on vacation with your family to parts unknown. And we have the rare instance where you don't make it back. You are somehow detained mysteriously. Can't make it back in time to record a show on Monday. Then that very evening... There is a alleged altercation between Jorge Masvidal and believe, according to what I'm seeing here from an ESPN report, a an alleged victim whose identity is being withheld to protect his privacy, his or her privacy. Yeah. And lo and behold, no one can account for Chad Dundas, mm-hmm. where he might be at this time, if he is indeed perhaps in Miami driving a getaway car. Yeah, see, I couldn't I make just it, find that interesting. Couldn't make it back yesterday because I had to go scoop up Jorge Masvidal and drop him out out in front of Poppy's steak. Uh, Keep this, the engine running. This, this thing is uh, progressing at a dizzying pace. <laughs> Here we are trying to record an episode of the show as we are recording it is dropping online right now that Jorge Masvidal, I believe, has been charged with felony battery in relation to this uh, alleged altercation at Poppy Steak. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Ben, didn't Jorge Masvidal already make a an internet video confessing to this assault? Didn't he already take it upon himself to go on his socials and pretty much be like, Book me, because I done it. <laughs> well, look, I I want to say right off the top, when it comes to this situation, both these guys ha- have run their whole thing into the ground at this point. There's just not a whole lot of goodwill left to go around on either side. There was arguably never much goodwill on Colby Covington's side. Jorge Masvidal, after going through a situation in which he was going to be paid to to hurt this man and had 25 minutes in which to do it. And aside from landing one clean shot that dropped Colby Covington and then he couldn't follow up on it, did not do much in that fight. You called him out for standing there yelling and talking shit after the fight was over as if he didn't just have five rounds to get some shit done. Now we're going to run up on Colby Covington in a steakhouse and people are understandably going to be like, bro, why didn't you fight him when it was not only legal, but you were you stood to be substantially rewarded for beating him up. Now you want to run up on him, you know, when when he thinks he's off duty. On the flip side, I could see how Jorge Masvidal might be looking back at us and being like, well, you guys loved it when it was three piece in a soda, didn't you? Yeah. You guys loved it when I was uh, running around here 
street Jesus talking about, you know, laying down the law and, and how I'm about that life. And everybody was like, yeah, hell yeah, tell him, Jorge. And then he runs up on somebody's and poppy steak and it's not cool anymore. Of course, the other other side of it, as we've discussed in the past, is that Colby Covington continues to find out that this gimmick cannot be put on and taken off at will. Yeah. That when you have made your thing into being just a shitty, awful, mean-spirited person who makes everybody mad at him, that there might be some consequences that continue to follow you around even when you think you're off the clock. Yeah, one of those consequences is round six out at Poppy Steak. Uh, do you feel bad for Colby Covington at all? No, because no, I'm, no, no, no. Go on, but no. Because I believe, as I think you pointed out, he is facing and encountering consequences above and beyond what has happened to other people in the past in this sport who have adopted similar heel personas, right? Like nobody ever was running up on Chael Sonnen in the buffet line, you know, like he may have, you know, gotten some threats in Brazil when he was there, that kind of stuff. But you know, no one's, no one's fighting Chael Sonnen, uh, outside a poppy steak telling Except him not those, to... those people in the hotel hallway, but this seemed like a different situation. Sure. Yeah. 11 charges now. <laughs> not, we're not even talking about that, but like, uh, it just seems like Colby Covington, who we all admit has done this as poorly as could be imagined without, without any of the artistry, right. Of HL right. Sonnen. Uh, and people just keep, People keep testing him in these streets, man, in a way that didn't happen to these other guys. But don't you think that the lack of artistry is a big part of why it's working differently for Colby Covington than it worked for those people? First of all, I don't think he ever really understood the gimmick that he thought he was going for when he tried to make himself into a persona for the sake of his career advancement in MMA. He didn't understand what was making it work for Chael Sonnen. He just thought... Pro wrestling bad guy. And by bad guy, I mean bad human being who will say absolutely anything as long as it seems like it's going to get under somebody's skin. He didn't understand that when Chael Sonnen was doing it, he also had a sense of humor about it. And he had a little bit of personal charisma just on top of that. But he wasn't just going out there and being like, what's the worst possible thing I could say right now? Like, what would, what would a terrible human being say at this moment? He wasn't doing that. He was doing, like, more of a crafted persona that had some humor, that understood that the best pro wrestling bad guys are also a little bit funny in a way that you hate to admit that you enjoy. Colby Covington did not understand that. All he understood was bad. Just be bad. Be an awful person. Say awful shit. Say just, like, whenever people think you've crossed a line with some new shit you said... Go even further than that next time. That's all he understood about it. And so that's why he finds himself in this situation where people don't want to let it go and nobody has any sympathy for him. He brought that on himself. And the worst part is, Chad, he did it ostensibly for rewards that he would find in this sport by making himself into somebody we knew and cared about and therefore was a draw. And then he sat up there at the post-fight press conference after he fight Jorge Masvidal and he said, I didn't get points on the pay-per-view. What the hell good was it then, man? What did you do it for? You yeah. made a terrible deal if this is what you've gotten in exchange for all you've given up that continues to plague you even when you try to sit down for a nice meal. Yeah, made a deal with the devil, but was like, I don't actually want anything in return. 
You can just go ahead and take my soul. You don't have to. Whatever you think is fair, Lucifer. We have to put a stop to this uh, in terms of taking these street beefs and making them opportunities in the cage, right? Like we just saw a week or so ago, Patty Pimblett, who we will talk about more coming up on this episode. Uh, and, uh, you know, Alira to, to, how do you say this guy's name? Alira Alira Tupuria. Yeah. They were, they fucked up the breakfast nook at a Marriott (laughs) somewhere in London, calling each other every homophobic, misogynistic name they could think of. And now we're all like, oh, that's the fight to make. That's the fight is those two guys, even though, uh, Tupuria clearly fights in a different weight class and got a win over Jai Herbert this past weekend, but one where he looked absolutely tiny for the duration. Like, dudes, that's not the fight to make. Like, we can't go around rewarding these people every time uh, they, they're they out here scrapping in a lobby of a, of a downtown metro hotel. We can't do that. We can't go and make, assuming Jorge Masvidal keeps himself out of jail now that he and his entire management team have confessed to this crime on the internet. <laughs> like, we can't go out and continue to reward these dudes and be like, yeah, you, you fought, you, you... Uh, you jumped Colby Covington outside Poppy Steak the one time you put a mask on during the pandemic, and now here's your rematch with him—a chance for you to make hundreds of thousands of dollars more. We can't. We gotta stop. We gotta well, stop see, doing that. That was my first thought, sadly, when I heard that these two had had this this run-in at a steakhouse. Was oh God, did they just guarantee that the UFC will book this shit again because they brought more attention to it? And so. It will be an interesting test of where the UFC thinks we're at on this stuff. If the UFC is also looking at guys throwing hand sanitizer at each other in the lobby, guys fighting in a steakhouse a couple weeks after their actual bout, and then thinks, okay, you know what? This has gone too far. We are going to fuck around and end up in a terrible situation one of these days. And it's going to, finally, people are going to pay attention to what's going on over in that crazy MMA space. And uh, it won't be good for anybody. Or does the UFC think, Brother, there's no such thing as bad publicity. We're not going to let some some good heat go to waste. Book it again. I think that the the UFC response. I mean, I've long since given up that the UFC will hand out any actual like discipline when it over it can help it. But if the UFC tries to book this fight again because of this, then it will tell you that they do not think there is any such thing as too far. It'll be Conor McGregor throwing the hand truck through the window, the pipeline straight to that as pre-fight promo material again and again. Yeah, Dana White's going to do an interview with Brett Ogamoto where he's like, it's disgusting. This fight between Jorge Masvidal and Colby Covington at the Poppy Steak is one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in my 75 years as a fight promoter in this business. And a month later, it's going to be a fucking promo video for UFC 81 or whatever. Yeah. That's, a, that's- month, a month later, it'll be, well, hey, you know, this isn't, this isn't tennis. This isn't soccer. This is a dirty, rough business. Sometimes this stuff happens. But we settle it in the cage when people are paying to watch. <laughs> Just a reminder, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. 
Don't forget to go out and follow us on Instagram, CME If You Nasty, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash co-main event. This particular show drops usually every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines or podcast libraries. We are a day late, but perhaps the better for it, since we could discuss round six at the Poppy Steak to open this thing up. And if you think we're having fun right now, uh, check us out over on Patreon. We will be there the rest of the week. Three additional podcasts. We'll have the uh, live chat tomorrow on Wednesday, doing the damn thing on Thursday and Friday, the Power Hour uh, check us out at patreon.com slash co-main event. We have a patronage tier for every budget. The people seem to like it. Patreon.com slash co-main event. We got music this week from our guys Foreign Cash, an L.A.-based production duo. If you like what you hear from them on the show, you can check out more of their stuff at foreigncash.bandcamp.com or soundcloud.com slash foreigncash. And again, as you guys know, that's C-A-C-H-E, the word cash in foreign cash. Three rounds, as you as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Tom Aspinall wore Alexander Volkov around the cage like a hat on Saturday. How good is the 28-year-old Brit? And how far can he go? And in round number two, you get a bonus, and you get a bonus, and you get a bonus. They're calling it one of the greatest fight nights of all time. Was it something in the water over there in England? Or was it just all the mismatches? And in round number three, a flurry of fight booking news across multiple promotions as we begin this week. Some good, some bad, some just blah as we head into the weekend headlined by Curtis Blades. And one of the Dacus brothers. I honestly can't remember which one. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is brought to you by our old pals at Fulton and Rourke. Ben, you know we are excited to welcome back the greatest sponsor the CME has ever had in Fulton and Rourke, the finest quality men's grooming products for all your personal needs. I said it last week on the live chat. I will say it again right now. I'm sitting over here wearing Fulton and Rourke deodorant right now, and I wish that you guys could smell me through the internet because I smell wonderful right now. So we are stoked to have Fulton and Rourke back on board with the CME. Yeah, and you know what? I'm sure it's not for everybody to be a well-groomed and wonderfully smelling man. That's not that's not for everyone. Some of you may be the kind of mouth breathers that want to just walk on down to Walmart, get yourself some Axe body spray and call it good. That's fine. You do you, as corner man Chad Dundas would say. However, if you are a refined and elegant gentleman, such as ourselves, Fulton and Rourke has got you covered. Everybody knows that, Chad. Everybody knows it. They do indeed, and they have made a ton of changes and innovations to the product line since the last time we featured them on the show. We're going to tell you all about them over the next several weeks. For now, we wanted to start off just by telling you about the new Solid Fragrance Discovery Sets. Basically... In one handy set, it allows you to try out all eight of Fulton and Rourke's fragrances before you buy them. You know, just to see which scent you like best. I have one of them myself. Smell before you buy. It's incredible. The discovery sets cost 20 bucks, but they come with a $20 coupon 
towards your next order. So if you find anything you like, it's like the sample set was free, my man. Uh, secondly, CME listeners can save 15% on their first purchase with the coupon code if you nasty all one word if you nasty that's why we love them check them out over there at fulton and rourke.com yeah smell before you buy is what my grandfather always used to tell me first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from the great dane i guess we kind of covered this but he writes anyone else sick of jorge masvidal shtick i guess uh props to the guy for keeping it real but the dude needs to chill uh ben what do you think the odds are jorge masvidal actually faces some manner of legal ramification from this attack at the poppy stake he's been charged with a felony battery is there a chance that this that uh for whatever reason jorge Mosville decided to carry out this alleged assault that that he winds up with a consequence here i guess the big question is does colby covington want to proceed in that manner because he would have to cooperate with the investigation right and In order to do that, not that Colby Covington has a ton of the same type of street cred that Jorge Masvidal does to begin with, but remember how he was making a big deal about it by people saying that he called the cops on Fabricio Verdum when Verdum hit him with the boomerang in Australia, which was and remains hilarious. We all need to note that. Uh, He made a big deal about it just in the lead up to this fight. I, I did not call the cops on Fabricio Verdum. The hotel called the cops. I wouldn't call the cops. And so now he's in a situation where do you be, become the guy who says, like, yes, let's press charges. Let's try to punish Jorge Masvidal to the fullest extent of the law. So I don't know. That seems to me like the part where Jorge Masvidal is most likely to skate off on it. But as for the are we tired of the gimmick, I'll say this. Jorge Masvidal is 37 years old, man. That's I'm just going to make a ruling. That's too old to be running up on people in a steakhouse. Yeah. You know? It's just, it's just not cool anymore. And again, if you wanted to beat the guy up, you had a really good chance. We all saw it, man. They, they, they told you in advance that that chance was coming. They were going to pay you money to do it. You were going to escape all consequences for doing it. And you didn't do it then. So to then choose another time when maybe the other guy is less prepared and run up on him, then uh, that it seems petty. It's like, uh, to paraphrase the old Chris Rock comedy line, you're not old, but you're too old to be out at the poppy steak starting (laughs) fights. We are on the verge of being able to have like a Miami area out of the cage MMA crimes tour, right? Where we could take a group of people around in a tour bus and be like, here is the entryway to the Fontainebleau where Conor McGregor Mm -hmm. stomped on a guy's phone. Here is the uh, poppy steak where Jorge Masvidal uh, snuck up on Colby Covington. Here's the boatyard where Kimbo Slice got his start. Like we're, just, we're we are very close to having like a star tour of the Miami area of uh, notorious incidents. I mean, excuse me. Note to self: start star tour of notorious MMA crimes. <laughs> All right there in Miami. Uh, Next question this week comes to us from Mabel Choate. Okay. Uh, I believe that is the Seinfeld character who Jerry steals the marble rye from. Okay. Nice. Good to know. Uh, Mabel Choate writes, 
Dan Hooker went out there in the O2 arena face first and got stopped by Arnold Allen. First, we should probably give some props to Allen for the win, but the bigger story here has to be what happened to Hooker recently and what is his next move. Uh, This was a tough one, battered all over the cage by Arnold Allen. Uh, Was Dan Hooker before the referee stepped in and made a stoppage on the feet, but also one of those ones that you couldn't really argue too vociferously about because you were pretty much getting lit up uh, if you were Dan Hooker. He is now one in four in his last five fights. The Nasrat Hakparast win at UFC 266 is his lone victory in that stretch. Look, man, leading up to this Arnold Allen fight, he has lost to some, some hitters. He's lost to some capital G guys in this division. Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler, Islam Mahachev, now Arnold Allen, a guy who we are still in the process of finding out exactly how good he is. But at 32 years old for Dan Hooker, this has been a rapid decline from a guy uh, who had won seven of his previous eight fights before that stretch. What do you think is going on with Dan Hooker here? Is it something really troublesome in his career or is this just a an instance of a guy coming up against a bunch of really tough competition right in a row well it's definitely that it's definitely the latter coming up against a bunch of really good fighters it what remains to be seen is if it's that and also something else because you can't make the case that he hasn't fought tough guys Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler, uh, and then after the the lone win in that stretch against Nazrat Hakpras, Islam Mahachev, shit, man, that that and that that one was on short notice. That's just a tough turnaround right there. And then you come back down to featherweight, and the first guy you face down there is Arnold Allen, who is on a run, man. And that's you could just lose any of those fights without anything else going on. It just could. It looks bad on paper because they all happen in such a short span of time. But you could lose, and anybody could lose any of those fights to those guys because they're just all good fighters. The difficulty that he's gotten himself in is that Dan Hooker is a known guy at this point, and there aren't going to be a whole lot of easy fights for known guys. That's just not how it works in the UFC. That that once they see that your name has some value, they're going to want to put you in there either with other known guys or with other guys they're hoping will soon become known guys. And like Arnold Allen seems to fit that bill here. I also, though, think that this move down to featherweight, at least for, for what we've seen in Dan Hooker's career, is not a good one for him, man. Like, he he did not do spectacular at featherweight the first time he tried it in the UFC. And we, I even remember him talking about how he wanted to go back up to, he wanted to fight at lightweight in the UFC because he felt like the cut was diminishing his performance and his ability to take a shot. And I think he was right. Like, when he went to lightweight, he reeled off some victories there. And that's when he had his most success in the UFC. Then he runs up against a few tough ones. And I think in an attempt to sort of revitalize the career and get a new life somewhere else, goes back down the featherweight. But it only gets tougher as you age. And even Arnold Allen made some comments afterwards that he thinks that it it hurts your performance. And it hurt Dan Hooker in this fight. That as soon as you start taking some of those punches, you can't stand up to it the same way. I just don't think that it it agrees with him physically, even though I understand why in his situation he would think, I got to do something new to get a clean slate. And he does look very big at that weight when he's out there. Six feet tall. He's a big featherweight. 
But at the same time, I think you're right. He posted the picture early on fight week of him weighing about 160, 162 pounds, which obviously is a pretty healthy cut to make, not necessarily, you know, way outside the norm of of how much weight people are cutting to get down there. But, uh, you know, I think you're right that that could be bad for Dan Hooker, that maybe he's depleting himself by trying to make that weight. I guess the bad news is he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place a little bit because he had those recent losses at lightweight. Uh, But I would think if he is in a rebuilding mode now, if I were him, I would try to make it at 155 and try to, you know, get into some matchups where maybe you can get back on a little bit of a roll here. As you mentioned, that might be tough though, being a guy who was a known name in that division uh, in both of these divisions, I guess. And hey, man, we talk a lot about these lighter weight classes and how stiff the competition is and how much you got to do before you actually end up making a name for yourself. Arnold Allen has won 11 fights in a row, nine, I believe, in the UFC. He hadn't fought in almost a year, uh, I assume, owing to uh, pandemic and travel issues and stuff like that. But he goes out here and just batters Dan Hooker. And at 28 years old, uh, I think you got to like this kid. You got to like his, uh, his future and the places he could go. And it's just a matter of, of getting the opportunities and getting recognized for as, as good as it seems like he is at this point. Yeah. And staying busy enough. Uh, next question this week comes to actually, I'm going to do these next two together. Uh, this one from Darren, the dragon who writes, uh, what are we even to think of this Patty the Batty character? And one also from Juan Pablo who writes, is Molly McCann likable? She sure had a remarkable showing at the O2 Arena. Uh, it was a big night, frankly, out there at this fight night for uh, Molly McCann and Patty Pimblett. The two of them running around in the cage together celebrating after Patty the Batty's win. And it does feel, I've seen people make this uh, comparison I'm not the first person to make it, but when you see him out there running around in the cage and you see Patty Pimblett doing his whole Patty the Batty dance and shtick and stuff like that, it does feel like shades of Conor McGregor and the original, uh, we're not here to take part, we're here to take over kind of Irish revolution in the UFC, which of course was short-lived and you got to stop short in some ways of comparing Patty Pimblett to Conor McGregor because we, we have yet to see if the skills are there for Patty Pimblin, but it did feel meaningful to me. It felt fun in a way, as long as you don't find out too much about Patty Pimblet's social media presence. And, uh, I don't know. There's a charisma there, man, with, with, uh, with these fighters that you can't, you can't really deny, especially on the home turf, uh, when you're getting arguably advantageous matchups and entertaining the, the home fans over there. Uh, why does Patty Pimblet still not have a Wikipedia page? Or a barber. Whoa. Whoa. Matter. Whoa. Low blow there by Chad Dundas. I mean, if we're asking questions, we're asking questions. Okay. The thing that is interesting to me about Patty Pimblet, the way that he handles some of this stuff, like like the, the fight week runner with Ilya Toporia, and then how he, he feels obliged to mention it on the mic afterwards, but also did not run toward that matchup at all. No. And the question I guess I get around to sometimes is, is he good? Is he a good fighter? Is he good enough for the amount of attention that he seems to be getting? And that's that's the thing we don't know yet, right? Because he's gotten a couple of, as I said, advantageous matchups from the UFC. But it also, 
I kind of get the sense that he might sort of know it, which is rare. Yeah. Usually what we see in combat sports, way more like the primo carnera, the harder they fall narrative uh, from the Humphrey Bogart movie is even if we are propping up this fighter with advantageous matchups, the fighter himself is often the last person to realize that. Patty Pimlet seems like he kind of realizes that he is not at that level to be beating the top guys, also is not being paid at that level to be fighting the top guys, and so is content to kind of take it slow for now. And honestly, that seems smart, And it, but it also seems like in this business, it is a sales business, he is bringing some masses in the seats. Yeah. He, he's... He is an attraction, and I, that's a delicate balance to keep up where people are going to want to see this guy continue to fight and talk shit and win, at, at least occasionally, and yet how long can you manage that before you're pressured to put him in with a capital G guy? Yeah, and it certainly historically goes against the way the UFC has done business most frequently during its its own past, right? This is not the... The UFC's way in in while it was building up its business, it used to kind of throw guys into the lion's den and and see who was the best. And I think you've seen in some ways a shift away from that in more recent years, uh, when it feels like it does have someone who could be a bankable star. You kind of now, in some ways, have started to see this move toward building that person up a little bit. Now, there's a lot of discussion about. You know, how the UFC feels about courting stars at this point, whether or not it feels like it needs to build stars, whether or not it really wants to build another Conor McGregor for the many uh, negotiating headaches that that has been for the company itself. So we'll have to see how all of this Patty Pimblet stuff plays out. But like, uh, you know, if you told me that Patty Pimblet was going to get a half dozen uh, for lack of a better word, cans that he could beat up and we were going to have a party every time we went over to England with the current UFC landscape, I couldn't sit here and tell you I would hate it that much. Like, there's enough actual legitimate competition going on to keep me sated in that regard. And if if you got a fun kid from Liverpool with a bowl cut and an accent that I can't understand a word that he says but he's going to choke somebody out and then do a dance. Ah, it's fine with me. That's, that's, that's totally okay. Yeah. Uh, Molly McCann. I don't know how much we want to say about her here before we move on. Obviously the spinning back elbow knockout in this thing was probably on a night full of highlights, probably the biggest highlight of the whole thing. And again, like Patty Pimblett, like an infectious excitement there jumping out of the cage and running around and drinking beers and slamming howler head uh with dana white outside the cage and then taking it upon herself to jump back in there after patty wins and they're all running around i don't know it's just sometimes with this schedule and the way the ufc cranks out events and how interchangeable many of the fighters feel to me it feels good to see some people with some personality kind of out there having fun. I have no complaints, frankly. We, yeah, and I think that you hit on it there. One of the things that makes it enjoyable for me is that there's just a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of joie de vivre, you know what I mean? little real zest for life out there, and I think that that is enjoyable to see. I would argue this, though. 
If you are going to walk around the cage with a fake belt, meaning like a, uh, you know, a, a, a belt, belt she that, took from a person in the audience, a replica belt. I hope that guy got his belt back because those, <laughs> those are, are expensive. not expensive. Yeah. yeah. If you were going to walk around with a fake belt, you've got to walk around with a really fake belt, you know, like it should be like a WWE belt or something, or like a clearly homemade in the garage on some cardboard. Uh, Cause you, your parents said, what the replica belts cost? What? No, I'll make you one at home. It'll be just as good. Like make it really fake. Because if it's just kind of close to the real thing, people are going to go like, mm. they have a, a revulsion toward that, where they're just like, you didn't win that belt. I don't like this. And then people are going to get mad about it. But if you make it super fake, then it's fun. Then it's just funny. This is my tip of the day. Okay. I'm going to squeeze in one more here, even though we're running out of time. We got a lot of good mail this week. We did. So anybody who uh, put in a question that we didn't get to, uh, we apologize for that. But I am going to read part of this one from Danny. He writes, how about that Paul Craig versus Nikita Krilov fight? Absolutely bananas sequence. Um, and then he goes on to ask a question about why the UFC wouldn't show the Ukrainian flag for uh, Nikita Krilov. And uh, I know we have had Dana White come out in the wake of this and basically say Krilov requested not to have the Ukrainian flag shown or to be introduced as fighting out of the Ukraine. Uh, and, you know, we've had some stuff going on with the fighter from Afghanistan also recently, and it's probably too big of a topic for us to get get into at this exact moment. But I did want to spend a couple minutes talking about this Paul Craig, Nikita Krilov fight because... Man, you turn around and, oh, by the way, Paul Craig now five wins in a row with the split draw with Shogun Hua mixed in there as well. And suddenly, do we live in a world where Paul Craig has to be taken seriously as like a light heavyweight contender here? I mean, we have mentioned on occasion that these days at light heavyweight, things feel pretty wide open. And... I could definitely see a scenario the same way you charted and essentially willed into being a scenario for Tai Tuivasa at heavyweight, where one thing leads to another and the next thing you know, things get serious around here. Man, Paul Craig could eat punches on way to triangle choking his way right into a title shot. I I, I could imagine that. I could envision it. But I'll say, regardless of if that happens or not, he could lose one here, there, win one again. The guy is just a goddamn joy to have around. Can we can we just allow ourselves to appreciate that without having to be like, hey, either you're headed up the ladder to a title shot or else you're not worth talking about. The guy is just goddamn pleasant. I love this son of a bitch. I never get tired of listening to him talk. You know I'm a sucker for a guy who's just going to go out there and jujitsu his ass off at the expense of all other skills at times. I, I appreciate it. He is right in your wheelhouse in almost yeah. all ways. Uh, Paul Craig got on the mic and suggested, I believe, Anthony Smith for a five-rounder. He threw out Glasgow in June, which I don't know if that's a thing that is actually on the UFC calendar or if Paul Craig is simply trying to conjure events. He's trying to be the change he wants to see in the world. But it sounds like a fun fight to me for for a couple of guys, uh, uh, you know, both of them trying to make their case as contenders in this new look 205-pound division. So if that's what transpires... I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, co and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says 
email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, Tom Aspinall had little to no trouble with Alexander Volkov. This in the main event of this UFC Fight Night event from the O2 Arena over there in London. A first round submission via straight arm lock, which is not one that you see every day. But nonetheless effective in this instance for Tom Aspinall could have been by the time we got several minutes deep in this round, maybe Alexander Volkov was was calling it a day uh, with his tap out to this straight arm lock. But but nonetheless, a big win here for Tom Aspinall, who, you know, is a guy that we have known for a while now is quite good at 28 years old. He is also very young for the heavyweight division, going to turn 29 next month. This is his fifth win in the UFC in a row. He is 12 and two overall. And I think we got to start taking this guy seriously as a heavyweight contender, despite the fact that the championship situation in that division is a little bit murky at the moment. But what did you see from Tom Aspinall? And uh, how confident are you that this is a guy we will see fighting for a championship at some point? Chad, I want to just give you a quick image, just something to conjure up in your mind brain. Picture, if you will, a young Frank Mir. Okay. A, a muscle and fitness cover version of the young Frank Mir. Pre-motorcycle car crash Frank Mir. Remember that? Back when we were all excited about, hey, what if there was a heavyweight who was a big guy, fulfilled that aspect of the heavyweight stuff, but was also a good athlete and was pretty well-rounded? What then? And now, once again, we have that sort of promise in somebody like Tom Aspinall. And yet it also seems like you still, it's hard to be sure what to make just yet. Alexander Volkov is a more experienced opponent, a guy who who has been around, seen some things, done some things. And yet it also did seem like pretty quickly, and maybe this is a testament to Tom Aspinall, he, he seemed like he was sort of, I don't want to say phoning it in, but seemed like he was very easily convinced that it wasn't going to be his night. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know what to make of that entirely. Well, it's meaningful in some ways because Volkov has not been an easy guy to finish throughout his career. Uh, I believe the last time he got finished was by Derek Lewis back in 2018. Of course, he had had put together more wins than losses since then, but, you know, went to decision with Cyril Gaon, went to decision with Curtis Blades, has been to decision with Czech Congo way back in the day. Uh, He is not an easy guy to stop. And so the fact that, Tom Aspinall blitzed through him so quickly to me is somewhat meaningful. I agree with you that the tests await Tom Aspinall and he looks good. He looks quick. He looks well-rounded. He's obviously got both striking and wrestling. And as we saw in this fight, some submission skills to go along with all that. So you like everything that you see. You love the fact that he's so young and athletic. Uh, But 
I would like to see him, you know, at this point, I guess, take on some some tougher competition because he passed this Alexander Volkov test with flying colors. Now, oh, I will draw the line, my friend, at a tie to Ivasa fight, though, uh, because we got other stuff going on, Tom. Uh, thanks. Thanks for calling out tie to Ivasa. We see what you're doing. I don't I don't, you know, hate you for it, but we can't let it happen. Well, we'll see you in uh, 2023, maybe Tom Aspinall, <laughs> but we got a prophecy to fulfill before we let Tai Tuivasa come anywhere near fighting Tom Aspinall. Well, if we're going to sit here and be like, Tom Aspinall needs to pass a few more tests before we take him seriously at the top of the heavyweight division, we can also turn around and get mad at him for calling out somebody higher than him in the rankings. Who- Not that one. <laughs> Call out somebody so if, else. If he'd, if he'd, if he'd called out Stipe, you'd be fine with it. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, in, in all seriousness, calling out Tai Tuivasa seems, I guess, smart, right? Like, that's that's speaking of advantageous matchups. If you're Tom Aspinall, might as well call out Tai Tuivasa. I mean, it's in some ways an advantageous matchup, but also nobody's going to sit around right now calling Tai Tuivasa an easy fight. And he is sort of a a guy of the moment who we're thinking about, who has some newfound momentum. So it's a smart call-out, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, and the, the, even the way he went about it, where he was just like, hey, we also like to drink beer up here. Come on up here. Maybe we'll, we'll show you how to drink one out of a cup. Something like that. You know, that's that's good stuff. And also, if you look at where Tom Aspinall is, I agree. Like, when you look at his actual record, where you're like, okay, you know, you got this this win over Alexander Volkov is the biggest one before that. You know, Sergei Spivak, who I'll point out beat Tai Tuivasa, the the elder statesman version of Andrei Olovsky, uh, and then a couple other dudes. And so you're still waiting for him to beat somebody who seems like they're the at the best version of themselves and also a serious ranked UFC heavyweight. But there's not that many of those guys yeah. around and currently available with openings in their schedule. So Tai Tuivasa is not a bad pick there. I mean, you know, we've got Curtis Blades is above him in the rankings, but he got a fight coming up just this weekend. So I, I don't I don't hate that part at all. And it shows you that Tom Aspinall is a little bit on the move. I would argue he could even, he could slow down a little bit. He's like a 28-year-old heavyweight. That's a damn zygote in that division. There's no rush, no rush to figure stuff out there. Uh, but I think from what we've seen so far, we can go ahead and get a little bit excited about the potential for somebody like Tom Aspinall to really turn into something special. Yeah. Uh, if I hear what you're saying earlier in the round, Tom Aspinall's birthday is coming up here in about three weeks. Uh, maybe don't get him a motorcycle. Is that, mm-hmm. is that what you were saying? We want to keep him off the, the streets. It's, this is not the time to finally fulfill that dream of going on a hot air balloon ride. You know, this is it's, I know you've always wanted to, to, Feel what it's like to drive a real race car. Not right now, Tom. Not right now. This is not the time to to tempt fate in that way. Yeah. Um. All right. You want to do? Are you fucking kidding me here? And then we can move on to to round number two. Sure. All right, Ben. I I will. This concerns Patty Pimblet, who we talked about earlier. So I will go first here with my Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, what is with the sudden glut of obviously fake? fighter payouts that seem to be suddenly (laughs) flooding the internet. You know, I feel like we go through these weird uh, trends in this sport and they they just suddenly happen. 
And now I'm looking around everywhere I look, someone is reporting fake numbers for the payouts of UFC fighters. So an are you fucking kidding me there, I guess. But also, uh, you remarked uh, earlier about Patty Pimblett saying he's going to need to get paid a little bit more uh, before he fights Taporia. Here you've got the fight scout tweeted on March 20th, one of these graphics with a bunch of alleged payouts for UFC fighters. And they say, here are the reported payouts for UFC London. No wonder Patty Pimlet didn't want to fight any top 15 fighters on his current pay. They have Patty Pimlet making $107,000 per fight. Patty Pimlet himself quote tweets this. And he says, I wish I was getting paid that are use for fucking real laughing emoji. Are you fucking kidding me? This tweet from the person saying, I wouldn't fight a top 15 fighter for this much money either. And then Patty Pimlet coming in over the top of that to say, I'm not even getting paid that much. Not even close. Are you fucking kidding me here? That's not even that much though. That's what he's saying, right? Like he, the, the fight scout is saying that's not that much. And Patty Pimlet is saying, I'm not even making that. And he was clearly a, a big part of the attraction for the fans there. And people are paying a lot of attention to him every time he fights. I would say that would be undervaluing what he is actually bringing. And he's like, OMG, I wish. Yeah. Laughing, crying emojis. String of them on this tweet. You fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me? Uh, Chad, did you hear about what went down at the glory event in Belgium over the weekend. Oh, uh, I think I did. Yeah. This is the mass hysteria broke out, right? Uh, I'm reading from one headline over on bloody elbow, which calls it a massive riot during Badahari's bout forces event cancellation. Chad, a fucking riot. There's videos on the internet here for one thing, at one point you can see a bunch of people standing there all together with their shirts off, which already a troubling sign at a combat sports event. I've I've been to events where people start taking their shirts off in the crowd and uh, nothing good ever comes after that. Uh, and then a bunch of people jump down, chairs are flying, madness ensues, uh, a goddamn riot. Not, can't even finish the bout, much less the event. The, the, the whole thing is, just gets called off. The part here I would like to read to you is the statement, the official statement that Glory released after this. Quote, Glory deeply regrets that Glory 80 was interrupted by people exhibiting unsafe behavior. (laughs) We never condone or accept behavior that endangers other fans that come to our events to enjoy a night of top sport. Upon the request of the police in the city of Hasselt, we stopped the event after the second round of Hari Rozizek. We apologize to the fans who did not get to see the end of this bout and the Ben Sadiq Richter's matchup. Also to the athletes who trained so hard and did not get to compete. Martial arts is a sport of respect and fair competition inside and outside the ring. Unsafe behavior. That's Ruined what we're calling a night of top sport. That's what we're calling a goddamn riot in the arena. Are you fucking kidding me? You're fucking kidding me. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be more back with more discussion of top sport. Coming up in round number two, right after this.
Well, Chad, the thing that went on here in London on Saturday is, for one thing, we got back to some of that old shit the UFC used to do. Taking a fight night on the road to a foreign country with a, an arena that is packed with enthusiastic fans making all that noise, reminding us of what things used to be like in the before pandemic times. And then the fighters really showed up for them, man. This yeah. was a, a hell of an event. Uh, you know, one of those that started early in a, on a Saturday afternoon over here. Uh, but you had a ton of, of good finishes, crazy bouts, back and forth action. I mean, just when you look at some of this, like we talked about Paul Craig doing his Paul Craig shit, where it's the, you know, the Scottish version of, uh, call the ambulance, but not for me, you wee lass, uh, as he pulls out that triangle choke, just as he's getting pounded by uh, Nikita Krilov. Uh, you had just like that, the Molly McCann crazy spinning back elbow, you know, Ilya Taporia just goes ahead and sleeps Jai Herbert, just all these undercard bouts that have a ton of great action and then, you know, good heavyweight finish in the main event. I guess it's tempting to ask, how did we end up with such a good event here? Is it just you you alluded to the possibility of some mismatches, even though I think if you looked at betting odds for a lot of these fights, it wasn't like it. It, it didn't look like a Bellator card. It wasn't a lot of like, you know, minus 2,500 favorites on the card or anything. Is it possible that the strategy that people used to complain about when the UFC went to UK and they would say, hey, you're just using a bunch of people we already saw in Cage Warriors. And, you know, why don't we get to see a Noguera or a Shogun or, or you know, who, the things that they used to want to see. Instead, they, they would complain, you're just kind of using the local talent who came up here and we already have seen plenty of them. But also, maybe it shows that they had some pretty good fighters that the rest of the MMA world maybe wasn't paying enough attention to before they got in the UFC. Yeah, and it had been a long wait. Right. Just because of the pandemic, this is the first time since 2019 that the UFC has gone to England. Uh, and so you you had, you know, the scarcity of the product, the, uh, uh, you know, people were ready for this. And, and as curmudgeonly as I feel sometimes about the new ver newest version of this sport, it felt good to see that arena packed and the people singing songs and, you know, so many... Uh, highlight real finishes and, and strong performances from the, from many of the hometown favorites there. It just seemed like, uh, we were ready for this in many ways than the live crowd was ready for this. And, and, you know, we mentioned a guy like Arnold Allen, not fighting in the UFC for almost a year. Maybe some of the athletes were ready for this and it, it all came off well as, as these fight night cards sometimes do. And it was, it was just a, uh, it was a long time coming, frankly, to to get into a feeling like this. Uh, and I mean, there was about a bunch of clear favorites on here, man. Like you might not have minus twenty five hundred people on here, but there was a lot of four to one, five to one underdogs on this card. And most of it uh, played out according to those odds. So uh, I would hold that there were some mismatches on here. And that's why you got yourself into a lot of these stoppages. That's kind of how it works now is that okay yeah i feel like for for this kind of card where you're you're getting back on the road you're going over to london you haven't been there in a couple years you got a lot of uh up and coming regional talents there that you're trying to get over i don't think that it was a bad matchmaking move and uh mostly you got exactly what you needed and frankly nine stoppages in 12 fights 
This thing, this thing played out probably better than you could have hoped if you were a matchmaker in this situation. Yeah, and how about that? Because you had nine stoppages and 12 fights, and it's such a great fight night event, the UFC announces that instead of doing the usual fight of the night and then two performance bonuses award, we're given a $50,000 bonus to everybody who finished a fight. Yeah. Now, somehow, that did not completely bust the budget of this company who, as we recently heard in the latest uh, Endeavor earnings call, uh, is basically just plucking money off a goddamn money tree for the parent company at this point. And so we decided, you know what, we could dig deep in those pockets for those bonuses, which have not gone up from $50,000 in years, and in fact used to be more than $50,000 like eight years ago. And we can just go ahead and hand some out to everybody who finished a fight. Now, I know the UFC is reluctant to do anything that puts more of the money in the fighters' pockets and less of it in the UFC and and ownership pockets. But if this became policy, if the UFC went out there and told everybody at every single event from now until Judgment Day, a finish is immediately worth $50,000. Do you think it substantially impacts the product, the fights, and what we see as the viewers on the the consumer end of this Hmm. maybe i don't know like i think you would probably have some people trying hard to get those finishes uh but i also think it's potentially sort of the false friend that like you know uh we've already got this bonus system which in my opinion is is not a great use of funds for the UFC, like I think you could do better stuff for the lives of fighters with that money, as I have talked about before. I guess this Saturday, I mean, if that were the goal of the bonus system, but okay. right, uh, and you'd kind of be getting into the same situation if you were giving out bonuses for for all stoppages. Uh, you know, just take that money and and do something different with it, and I think you could get further. And I guess the Saturday event is a reminder that, hey, man, the UFC can kind of do whatever it wants whenever it wants. Like all this talk about fighter pay and, oh, we're going to bust the budget. But an extra, I guess not an extra, but $450,000 for fight night bonuses is just like petty cash that Dana White has in one of those bank envelopes in the back, right? He's just, sure, why not give out nine post-fight bonuses instead of the normal four uh that could come sure. up from his personal blackjack budget and and never miss it. Yeah, and it is it would be more equitable to give out a $50,000 bonus for anybody who got a stoppage. Uh at the same time that and it would probably be a good idea for the UFC to do that because it would be a good publicity move and you know it it might cause a, a smoke screen that again would would uh, take people away from from asking the real questions about what's going on with the the disparity between what the UFC keeps and what the what the fighters make. We mentioned a second ago that even if Patty Pimblett was making a hundred thousand dollars, that seems light uh, for what he brings to the table in an event like this uh, in London, where I believe they got seventeen yeah seventeen thousand people total gate. Ben folks, the gate. Just the money they're making from people coming in the door, $4.5 million. So yeah, that's not uh, bad. they're keeping a lot of that money. And Patty Pimblett's saying he's not even making 100000 Well, it also seems like the timing of something like this is interesting. The, you know, the UFC has been 
taken some shit for fighter pay recently. Uh, you know, that uh, that ongoing issue that every once in a while reaches out to a, a different level of media awareness uh, where we just had that article, the Sports Business Journal, I believe it was, where Lawrence Epstein has to go on there and defend fighter pay and talk about Jake Paul. Then you've got uh, Ari Emanuel having to deal with it on the Endeavor earnings call. And then lo and behold, we decided, you know what, we can give out some more bonuses on this one. And uh, isn't everybody happy? It like, feels a little bit like throwing the money around, being like, there, take it and shut up for a little while, you guys. And yet, it also feels like the way the bonus system normally works is everybody go out there and try to do the rain dance. And maybe if you're lucky, it'll rain. And we're not telling you necessarily even like this action will equal this reward. You just have to hope just do the the, the best craziest shit you can and hope that maybe it'll be rewarded in that form. And maybe it won't, especially as we've seen, depending on where you are on the card, your odds may be better or worse. And if you told them beforehand, like these guys all get the $50,000 bonuses per finish, but nobody was told that beforehand, it seems that, hey, if you go out there on this card and you get a finish, you'll, you'll get rewarded. I'm, I would be curious to know what the result would be if you told them, gave them really clear metric like that. You get a finish, automatic $50,000 bonus. Because I could see in some of these instances where you're in a, a close fight, you're up. You feel like you're up two rounds to zero. You're going into the third round. You think, well, here's what I want to do here is just not lose it. Let me just sort of coast a little bit uh, and get my decision and go home. If you know there's $50,000 in it for you, if you push a little harder, put your foot on the gas and try to get a finish. And if maybe you're a prelim fighter whose win and show money together won't equal $50,000, then maybe that starts to seem like a, a risk worth taking. I, I, it could have an effect and maybe one that the UFC would actually like to see. Yeah, it's possible. It's definitely possible. It's hard to, to, to fully know how that would play out. I think with the, the current bonus system, people are already trying to do that just because you know they want to put their name in that hat to get that $50,000 bonus. If it was a sure thing, Maybe you would see people try harder to to get stoppages. I would argue if you just paid these people enough money to be full-time professional fighters who didn't have to work at the tire shop uh, during the week, you might see a bigger lift in performance all around. But again, that's not necessarily what we're trying to do, is it? No. Uh, all right. That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, as I mentioned off the top, we had a flurry of fight booking news today to begin the week as we head into this weekend where uh, Curtis Blades is going to fight. I believe it's Chris Dawkus made a uh, joke about it, but it is. Uh, it's, it's the Chris, heavyweight Dawkus. Yeah. It's Chris Dawkus who's going to fight Miami area private investigator Curtis Blades this weekend. I uh, wanted to spend some time with what the other promotions are up to as well. Some interesting news, I guess. First of all, on the negative ends of things, young Serge Sergio Pettis is out of the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix with an undisclosed injury. Uh, he was scheduled to defend his title against Rufion Stotts at Bellator 279 in the opening round of that tournament. Now, however, Juan Archuleta will step in to face Stotts for an interim 
135 pound title this is all going down at that bellator event on april 23rd out in hawaii the one nate diaz famously said he's trying to get on not sure about the legality of that but anyway uh cbs sports was the first to report this ben how much if at all does it hurt your enthusiasm for this tournament to know that now the champion is not in it it hurts and this is one of the risks you take with a tournament of this style, right? We, we talked before about how Bellator had gotten kind of lucky with some of these other Grand Prix, and here is the opposite of that. Some Sometimes you eat the bar, Chad. Sometimes the bar, well, he eats you. Yeah. And, and this, this is what we're looking at here, especially because it's not like the kind of injury where, okay, we push back this fight but keep it together. Sergio Pettis, I think, wrote on Facebook uh, that – you know, he, he's going to be out six to nine months uh, after surgery on this one. So that's that does kind of force you to decide, do we want to stretch this tournament out until it's just frustrating and annoying for everybody? And you still may not get some the closure that you're hoping for out of it. Or do you want to go ahead and move on? It's curious a little bit to me to move on and be like, OK, now the, the fight is just for the interim title. Like. I could see making the interim title as the reward for winning the whole tournament. And I guess the end result is the same if the title goes up for grab each time. But it also smacks of a little bit of impatience to just be like, mm, the new fight is the interim title fight. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was an interesting wrinkle, I think, in some of these Bellator Grand Prix that the champion was defending his or her belt throughout. I don't know if you get the same sizzle with an interim uh, belt that will be defended throughout but maybe if you're Bellator and you realize you lost the champ for an extended period of time and he's not going to be in the uh, in the tournament field at all that you, you do an interim title crown the tournament winner as the interim champ and then of course you have a uh, a unification fight set to go uh, does it bring anything to the table in the tournament that you know just have on the tournament winner get a title shot against young Serge would I don't know but you know, you're kind of scrambling, I guess, if you're Bellator and, and you suddenly got the guy who was going to be, you know, arguably the main attraction of this tournament, if not one of them is now gone from the field. So you got to do something. So in a way, my heart goes out to him a little bit, but yeah. I think you're right. I think it undermines some of the interest in this, uh, into this bantamweight tournament. Well, and you got to feel bad for young Serge. He wanted that million bucks, man. He sure did. Uh, PFL in addition, has revealed the card for its the opening of its next season. Uh, multiple fights, obviously, on tap here, but the place I wanted to start, Ben, uh, how about Cassius Clay Collard against Jeremy Stevens? I will, I will accept that. I will take yeah. that walking away, frankly. Yeah. I mean, anytime you get a, a Cassius Clay Collard fight, I'm already interested, and then you put him in there with a, a fellow banger. Uh, fellow hitter out here in Jeremy Stevens. Okay, I see what you're doing, PFL. I'm I'm gonna mark that one down as a as a wood watch. I'll be there. Yeah, Jeremy Stevens out here uh, running on the incline treadmill with Dominic Cruz. I don't know if you saw that Instagram post, but uh, he's making he's making good progress up that imaginary hill. So okay, good. If you're Clay Collard, got to be wary of that. Uh, yeah. Hey. Pettis family fight booking news. We just talked about young Serge being out. Anthony Pettis, the big brother, pretty Tony. He's going to be fighting Miles Price at this same event. I believe the main event of this thing is Roush Manfio against Dan Madge. So that's one to mark your calendars for. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, next week, the UFC heads to Columbus, as we noted. I guess we should also make note Bellator announced a women's flyweight title fight. Juliana Vasquez and Liz Carmouche are uh, going to fight for that one. They are also headed back to Dublin here in the near future. But let's say a few words about this uh, UFC fight night. We're going to Columbus to the nationwide arena. As we mentioned, heavyweight main event, Curtis Blades and Chris Dawkins. I'm almost tempted to say that the most newsworthy part of this whole thing uh, is the UFC. As we mentioned last week, going to London, now we're getting back to what appears to be something resembling a normal domestic travel schedule with uh, a fight night out in Columbus. This is where it's starting to feel like business as usual again, right? Like we're we're going back to just sort of roaming around with these fight night cards and uh, taking them to places of local interest. Columbus, Ohio, you know, being a, a pretty typical spot. Along there, uh, it always used to be a pairing with the Arnold Classic. I don't know if that's what's going on there this weekend or not. But I know here's one shed that I know had, has got to get. You, you must have a calendar alert set up for this one on the undercard at welterweight. Matt Brown versus Brian Barberina. Yeah, your guy. Oh man, hundred percent pirate fight right there. These guys <laughs> might as well be fighting over who's going to be the captain. Who's going to get to raise the Jolly Roger and and, uh, steer the pirate ship from here on out? Because that is, that's an exciting one. Yeah, that's the Chad Dundas main event right there. Yeah. Uh, Your heavyweight fight here, as I mentioned, Chris Dacus comes in off his loss to Derek Lewis. Curtis Blades is out here still just quietly stringing together wins. He has won, I believe, five of his last six, had his own knockout loss to Derek Lewis, but at UFC 266, uh, defeated the biggie boy, Jarzino Rosenstrike. Curtis Blades still sort of shockingly young, considering how long he's been around, 31 years old, and just, again, keeps keeps losing his contender fights, but otherwise is just kind of thin in the herd here of contenders. Still a very, very good fighter. Uh, I have not seen the odds for this, but I would sort of imagine he is the favorite here against Chris Dawkins. And uh, another one where, you know, maybe Curtis Blades just continues knocking off contenders. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Curtis Blades, one of those guys that's easy to forget that he is even around in the heavyweight division until he shows up and does that Curtis Blades shit to some people again. And then you go, oh, yeah, nope, he's he's still good at that. Yeah. If you don't have an answer for it, Curtis Blades is going to find out. Real quickly before we take off, uh, Rose Namajunas going to get her wish, going to do the uh, the rematch here with Carla Sparza as the next title defense for Rose Namajunas. This feels like the right move. Even if it is not perhaps the biggest attraction, the most bankable fight, you do kind of have to give Carla Esparza her due title shot here, don't you? Yeah, I think you do. I, I understand why the UFC didn't exactly leap at the opportunity to book this fight again and get Carla Esparza into another title fight. But come on, fair's fair. You don't have any better ideas. You might as well give it to her and make the best that you can out of it. It's this is this still has to function as a sport some of the time, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's let's do just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what is your just saying stuff? Well, Chad, we didn't mention we were tipped to it in listener mail by Doctor Alban, but as Doctor Alban notes here, thirty-eight-year-old Shinyaoki will fight 46-year-old Yoshihira Akiyama, Sexyama if you nasty, at 1 in Singapore this Saturday, March 26th. Please discourse. I, 
this had escaped my notice. I had to go look up the fight card over here on Tapology. Sure enough, I see Shinya Aoki versus Yoshihiro Akiyama at 170 pounds. I'm looking at it going, is it is it that Shinya Aoki? Is it that Yoshihiro Akiyama? We're sure it's not just a couple of guys happen to have the same names? Nope. Here we are. How, how the hell did I not know this was happening? Also, though, just saying, Chad, what fucking year is it, man? I just want to know. Did I fall into a goddamn time warp again? How sexy is this? Is sexy Yama as he's pushing 50? Is he still sexy as he ever was? Or is. Honestly, I need answers. This is going to be a controversial take, I know, but I feel like he's like a fine wine. Yeah, Agent Grace. I feel like he's only getting sexier as he ages. Maybe show up there a little salt and pepper Mm -hmm. in the hair. You know what I'm saying? Gentleman of a certain age. He's he's refined now and just. uh, sexier with every passing moment can't yeah. wait for tomorrow because he gets a better looking every day you know what i'm saying at that age you want to be careful don't let shinya aoki break that arm now because don't let him break that anything because take, take a little while to heal it won't ever be the same 50 year old you, man don't want to you know and aoki he, he would love to do it he'd love to break your arm don't let him do it he's a mean son of a bitch don't let him do it well, Ben, folks, this week, I'm just saying we are damn near 70 minutes into this thing, and we haven't even discussed the biggest combat sports news of the weekend. The real result everybody has been waiting for, Thor, Thor Bjornsson <laughs> defeated Eddie Hall via unanimous decision in the boxing match that was set to end the grudge between these two professional strongmen. Did you see the highlights? I saw some highlights. Yeah, because why would you watch the whole thing in this day and age, right? Where you just put the yeah. highlights up on on uh, social media. I'm just saying, uh, the mountain looks good in this thing. Did you see him? He's out there throwing these straight punches. He cracked them. We cracked have him a couple seen, good times. We have seen some so-called athletes show up to have themselves various kind of fights and look a lot worse. Than Thor Bjornsson here in this fight against Eddie Hall opened up a cut on Eddie Hall's eye wins the decision as I said and uh, he's he's ready to let bygones be bygones who's next that's what I'm saying who's next for the mountain let's get him on one of these trillers cards do the Pauls have another brother <laughs> by ex- any chance an expendable brother or a giant yeah. brother yeah i mean i feel like if they had a giant brother we would have heard about him by now well if this was pro wrestling the- it would turn out that they had a giant brother that they just had not mentioned up to <laughs> that point <laughs> how about that that robot they're always walking around? can we oh, get yeah. that robot in sure. there with thor yeah he's a little stiff i'd like uh the mountain there and, and uh, to use his athleticism but yeah Finally, the beef, the strongman beef has been settled after years of trying to set up this fight. Just saying. I mean, the only thing that would serve as a logical next step after we did strongman versus strongman, we got to go kind of John Henry style man versus machine, mm-hmm. you know, strongman versus artificially intelligent robot book it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had lost track. I don't even know if we're still doing world, world scariest man against the Iranian Hulk, uh, but maybe the winner there shapes up as a yeah, future well, opponent for the mountain in the weird motherfucker division. I wouldn't look for the Iranian Hulk to be the one coming out when the, the dust clears on that one. Yeah, the pre-fight festivities have uh, led me to believe he's not going to win that one. In any case, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we're back tomorrow for the live chat over on the Patreon page. One dollar 
gets you in the door for the live chat, patreon.com slash co-main event. Then we got doing the damn thing on Thursday and the power hour on Friday. Check us out over there. As for right now, though, thanks for listening, everybody. We are done. We are through. We are out. All of a sudden, a huge-ass Paul brother comes out of the crowd. Mm-hmm. It's Ralph Paul. Where's he been? <laughs> Ralph Paul just happens to be 6'6", 285 pounds, and it slipped everybody's mind to tell us. Well, he didn't want to overshadow the little guys. He didn't want to. He's been in the Merchant Marines, <laughs> see? It's the thing. And He's got home from his tour. Yeah. We, we, in fact, we could see him walking up with his like his big duffel bag over his shoulder, and he just t- plops it down and says, who's messing with my brothers? Yeah, go, oh shit, Ralph Paul is home, guys. <laughs> <laughs>